Applications for the Techstars Tech Central Sydney Accelerator Class of 2024 are closing on the 22nd of May. I'm Kirsten Hunter, the Managing Director of Techstars Sydney, and I'm looking for diverse and unstoppable founders who are using technology to solve the world's biggest problems to join this Accelerator cohort. The 12 successful businesses will get access to our 13-week mentor-driven accelerator, $120,000 US investment, and access to the Techstars network for life. Head to our Accelerator webpage to learn more and to apply. Hi, I'm Adam Spencer, founder of the Day One Network, which is bringing the history of the Australian startup ecosystem to you. I believe in founders. It's why I do everything I do at Day One and our media company, W2D1 Media. And that's why the Day One Network exists, to create helpful content for founders. We've got some great shows in development, but a large part of what we do couldn't be done without support from our partners and sponsors. And I couldn't be happier than to be working with NTP, who get community better than any other technology recruitment company out there. A Newcastle company like mine, NTP, are invested in seeing the growth of the local tech community in Newcastle, Sydney, and more broadly, Australia. So thank you, NTP, for helping us bring helpful content to founders and the startup community in Australia. Back to the interview. Hi, I'm Adam Spencer and welcome to Day One, the podcast that spotlights Australian startups, founders, and the organizations that empower Australian entrepreneurship. We go back to the beginning to tell the story of Australia's most inspiring founders and how they built their companies. You're listening to a special interview series as part of a documentary W2D1 is producing about the history of the Australian startup ecosystem. This episode was conducted by guest host Will Cho. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Australian Startup Series interviews. Our guest today is Marcus Kalbetzer. Welcome to the show, Marcus. Thanks, Will. So to start us off, could you introduce yourself and tell us what you're currently working on? My name is Marcus Kalbetzer. I've been involved in, I guess, the startup ecosystem for, for well over a decade now and, and currently the CEO and founder of BridgeLine, which is the same place I've been for the last 13 years. <laughs> What did the ecosystem look like when you first started about 10 years ago? Yeah, so I mean, I probably started in 2010 and um, well, between 2010, 2012. It was definitely a lot smaller as, as obviously, you know, everybody would know. There were a few co-working communities. One would have been Fishburners, Blue Chili as an incubator, a few VCs. Blackbird was, I think, had just gotten started six months prior. And, you know, a few other VCs that had been around the market for a while, but, but not many of the, of the current players. Yeah. And I'd love to walk through um, your journey over the last 10 years because um, I, I know that you're also the founder of Tankstream Labs, was it? Yes. Yeah. Could you tell me a bit about that? Yeah. So Tankstream Labs started in, in 2012, um, which was we just had our 10-year anniversary. And that was on the back of meeting two other founders that I had met through a previous company we had backed named Mason, which was a mobile virtual network operator that launched. Um, and then they subsequently went out to, to found Airtasker, Tim Fung and Jonathan Louis. And we had an empty floor in our building here in Bridge Street and decided that it was a good idea to, to populate it. We um, had made a small investment in Airtasker and they had a lot of inquiry about filling up the space from other like-minded individuals who were trying to get you know their own gig started. So um, we turned that into something more formal and, and it's grown now from being a little corner on, on you know, a, a small floor to over 8,000 square meters of co-working space with 800 plus desks. 
Wow, that's amazing. Marcus, would you say that you've always been an entrepreneur? Yeah. Even towards university days? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. What attracted you to this space? Um, well, I've, I've been involved in family business for my entire career. And I think um, pro- probably just my generational, uh, I guess, age with regard to the rest of my family, I was probably a bit more keen to look at innovation and startups. I've always had a bit of a curiosity around it. And always keen to prove that you know i could i could potentially build something myself um you know i've been not only an investor uh, which is probably what i'm better known for but more, more so as well as a as a founder and entrepreneur building startups myself um which i'll get to later on in terms of you know what are some learnings and what are some main take-home points yeah absolutely when you first delved into the ecosystem back in 2010 to 2012 after being in the family business did did you find that there was a lot of support structures that you were able to rely on and um, in essence penetrate the the ecosystem without much difficulty uh well i think you know it was so small it you know it didn't take much to kind of get involved i mean everybody was after funding essentially um you know there weren't many many investors and um, there were some structures that were in place, which are still in place today. And I'd probably say, namely the ESVCLP structure, which is, you know, capital gains tax concession. I think, you know, many people have talked about that, especially on your podcast as well. So that was, you know, that was around R&D tax concessions, which, you know, we're giving you back almost half of the money that you'd invested in R&D back. So there were some government structures which were, you know, financial and, and, and helped startups get off the ground. But, but really, it was funding, um, and there was a lack of funding from, I guess, professional investors. You know, that was always still relying on family and friends. And yeah, was, I guess it's for fairly low barriers to entry in that space. And it didn't take long to to kind of enter by meeting a few individuals and networking, and was able to get yourself launched relatively quickly as an investor. Yeah. Do you think there is still an absence of funding even today? Yeah, I, I definitely think so, and I think it's more a function that you know we've grown um, quite considerably over the last decade, and, and obviously we're in a very different um, position to to where we were. And you know, it's great to see so many different success stories coming, different sizes, um, different I guess subsectors of of the innovation space. But fundamentally, you know, I think that they still exist today, and the funding gaps at the early stage to support the ecosystem is, is still there. Whilst we have plenty of funding later stage through you know bigger investors, bigger VC funds, which which have grown, um, as well as institutional capital, which is starting to enter the market, we still have this gap uh, potentially at the back as a proportion of total funding early stage seed and Series A is smaller today uh, proportionally to the total funding in the market. Yeah, it, it sounds like. It was never a, a startup problem or a founder problem because we, we have an abundance of those, as you mentioned, with the growth over the last 10 years. But um, why hasn't the funding matched in tandem? Why has Australia not you know, provided that funding? Um, I mean, I think the funding has, you know, undeniable that it's grown ex- extremely quickly. And I think, you know, there's lots of examples, but I, I just fundamentally think as as investors continue to make gains and and um, that they are trying to invest across the full spectrum from from seed and and even you know pre-seed all the way to you know late stage rounds and growth rounds, but fundamentally I think the quantum of money is still going to those later stages more from the support from again institutional and professional pension funds. Or, or you know future funds so forth are are investing in those later stages even from you know i guess international vcs as well they're not participating early on 
and I think you know we need more more support at that earlier stage so that you know we can continue to prop it up and, and continue to have more and more um, positive success stories coming through the market. Yeah, I hear you. It's it's later stage startups that are essentially taking the lion's share of the funding available. Yeah, as a proportion. Yeah, absolute terms. Both both sectors have grown, you know, quite a bit. Hmm. Has it been what you expected it to be the growth over the last ten years? No, probably not. I mean, I was just looking at a you know our pitch deck for Tankstream Ventures Fund One, which was launched in twenty fourteen, and. You know, we had in there that, you know, some of the success stories were, you know, Seek and um, Big Commerce and Zero had, had IPO'd and a few others. And, and Atlassian was about to do an IPO in NASDAQ and it was, you know, had a 1 billion plus valuation to it. So, you know, that was, that was 2014. If we look back to, say, pre-COVID and even the last two years through COVID, you know, I would have never thought that those companies themselves would have evolved, but have obviously a huge quantum of other players that weren't even really being named six to eight years ago that are now, you know, bigger than those. And, you know, some of the biggest, you know, startups in the world in terms of, in terms of being, you know, unicorns and, and Canada, you know, being probably one of the largest unlisted startups in the world, well, unlisted tech companies in the world. Yeah, that's absolutely amazing. I mean, the growth that we've experienced, I think it's, it's yeah, really funny. That's, yeah, less than 10 years ago, right? It's six, eight years ago. Yeah, it feels like an eternity ago, but at the same time, yeah. it feels like so recent. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Shifting gears a little bit, what would you say that we do really well compared to other geographies? Yeah, I think that's hard, you know? I mean, we've always picked on ourselves in terms of what we don't do and, and how we should continue to improve ourselves to, to continue to be better. Um, but generally, I mean, I, I do think those support structures that we have in place from, from the cap, you know, capital gains tax incentives on the ESVC um, is always something that, you know, when he spoke to foreigners, they, they were quite surprised that we had that um, in place. And I think, you know, that's been, that's been great to see and, and see it continue to be, you know, important, at least to, to the venture capital um, environment. There's a lot more things that can be done, but I also think that just the drive, the Australian drive to, to want to succeed. And I think early on, we, you know, we talked about 10 years ago, we used to say that, you know, there was a real, I guess, animosity towards failure and, and if people didn't come forward with it and so much so forth. But I think, you know, we've been able to evolve as an ecosystem and as, as founders to be able to, you know, adapt, take those things uh, in our stride and, and continue to evolve, I guess, as a, as a society and as a culture. So now we're, you know, we're not so shy about, about giving it a go. Mm. The role of government uh, seems to be a theme that regularly pops up with other founders that we've interviewed. It seems like from what I'm hearing that you're, you're really, I guess, happy with the ESV CLP structures. Is there anything else that you believe the government should be doing from a policy perspective or do you think that their support is sufficient? No, no, I, I definitely think there should be more done. And you know, I think it has been mentioned as well on your podcast that, that I, I think the, the capital gains incentives have been great. And whilst they're great, there's a lot of individuals out there who are amazing investors um, and maybe not amazing fundraisers, but they, they can do wonders for startups if they are able to get in early. And I think, you know, an incentive is to, to, to let these people who are taking significant financial risks and, and even time to be able to get capital gains concessions on, on those investments. Whilst that may not help, you know, early stage venture funds in terms of having other people being able to compete 
um, well, not not invest in their fund because they don't need to anymore. From a capital gains point of view, they um, they would be able to provide a lot of expertise and and you know I guess solidify the mentorship or advice that a lot of these investors tend to give to startups when they when they're seeking those very early rounds. So basically, more support from the individual investors. Do you have any unpopular opinions about our ecosystem? Something you believe is true, but others aren't on the same page? <laughs> I'd probably have to say, yeah, this is one maybe with a caveat on it, but I think the ASX has actually you know, done a pretty good job of, of trying to get tech startups exited and to the market. Having said that, I think the lion's share, the ones that you do see go through, probably aren't ready and potentially hurt the you know ability for other startups to exit or use the ASX and, and obviously the public market to access equity. You know, I think some of them are just not ready and tend to burn through a lot of, um, you know, mum and dad's money and, and um, you know, make poor investment choices when the reality is, you know, the ASX could be, could be a bit more of a guardian on that. So that's just from the exit point of view. I think a lot of people tend to tend to think that you need to go to the US and, Pretty much find either investors to continue to back you over there, which you know it's no longer the case. You can find plenty of investment here, whether you know, you, in case you know you want to stay private and so forth. But but if there is kind of the the opportunity to to make an exit as a founder or or as investors or access a different market, I think the ASX has done a relatively good job. Yeah, could you tell me more about what you meant by the ASX uh, acting more of a guardian? Oh, I th- well, I, th- I think they need to have bit more regulation in terms of you know what what's able to be listed or what should be listed um they do have a lot of obviously thresholds that that companies need to cross from you know being a widely widely held register to minimum requirements from financial point of view but i think some of the businesses just yeah that those are things that you can get around and i think some of the businesses might be flawed or or just not ripe enough to 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 take it to that point you know, last thing you want to do is is really list as a small cap or you know micro cap, and once you get to that stage, it's pretty hard. It's pretty hard to come back. So I think you know we could be set, setting the companies up or or not not accepting them and telling them to stay private longer to be able to achieve a positive outcome when they do get there. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure if this is the right take on this because one of, for context, one of the challenges that I hear um, other entrepreneurs mention on this podcast is when our founders decide to exit overseas and sell to overseas companies. That means the talent pool, the resources, and so on just go overseas. Um, do you think exiting via the ASX could be a potential solution to that? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm not so sure that when they do exit overseas that the talent pool necessarily leaves. There's plenty of examples where the talent pool has partially stayed here if, if not you know maybe they, they they've grown whilst they've sought extra funding or exited and, and that extra funding has allowed them to grow their teams and maybe they've grown their teams internationally but i think you know the you know i guess the support that's provided today in australia from you know our education sector in terms of uh, the quality of it as well as people wanting to stay here is probably changed and i think it's in a much better position um, but yeah, definitely. I mean, I think if if companies can fund themselves here through the ASX or through larger funds or international funds, you know, looking towards Australia or pension funds here supporting us, then you know, I think absolutely, you know, that'll keep everybody here for longer. 
and, and continue to evolve that ecosystem and those people that stay here and hold senior jobs in companies that are growing and becoming bigger, then they come back and it turns into, I guess, the, the full circle. Yeah, absolutely. I, I like what you mentioned about how our talent pool doesn't necessarily go overseas just because we do have quite a good magnet in, a, in keeping people here, whether it be lifestyle or education. That's right. That's right. I mean, it's pretty pretty hard to find somebody that says they don't like living in you know Sydney or Melbourne or Brisbane or wherever they are. <laughs> yeah. So, Marcus, uh, as you know, what we're trying to do in this podcast is to document as historically as possible the history of our ecosystem, just so that we can look to the future. And we're aiming to reach all corners from founders, investors, policymakers, and academics. Is there anything that we haven't discussed today that is always top of mind for you that you want to bring to their attention? Well, I'm not sure what, what's been talked about not before, but I think, you know, again, this extra support from, from all kind of facets of the ecosystem. So that's, you know, government, education providers, so universities and the private sector being VCs and larger startups. And I think that all needs to be tied together a bit better. And I think maybe universities are the one that's missing in that link to the degree when you compare it with, with the US and maybe what Stanford has has meant to Silicon Valley and, and other universities in Australia in in the US to their I guess, sub, sub ecosystems. That's probably the, the main thing. From advice, I guess, from my point of view is I think we've gotten to the point where we have a lot of founders who are becoming investors, founders who have succeeded, founders who have failed, investors who have succeeded, investors who have failed. And I think, you know, that's extremely important for, for us to continue to evolve. And I think, you know, whilst failing is, is you know, not something you congratulate people for, it's good to have. And I think we're now at that point where we have a lot more diversity, you know, within our ecosystem. And it's really, I guess, healthy. It's healthy and you know, it provides so many more experiences. I mean, we all know we learn much more through experiences than through, you know, education. Um, and, and, you know, I think that's critical. No, I'm not sure if I've answered that one correctly, but I think that's, that's pretty much it. <laughs> no, I like it. Um, my, my, my question when, when you described having universities being tied together, I suppose what you're referring to there is, is collaboration between universities and startups, right? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Why do universities not collaborate as much with startups compared to, as you mentioned, with the United States, with Stanford University? It's a good question. You know, I think part of it's, you know, the, it's, you know, they don't move fast, right? We don't have as many universities, you know, they're definitely, they're definitely large and, and they're large institutions. And, you know, just as we were talking now, I mean, I guess this whole, you know, we keep talking of when did the ecosystem start and so forth. I mean, I think it's the next wave of the ecosystem that we've been talking about just now. I mean, more in terms of web point two, rather than, you know, you know, there's always been innovation, but I think this web, to or say to 2014 to now, um, 2012, 2014 to now, the universities just haven't been able to move that fast and, and to be able to, you know, take stock of, you know, where they could be helping more and so forth. And, you know, they're still quite fragmented, you know, um, different faculties don't necessarily talk to each other and it's up to the university to pull all that together and, and then, you know, come back to the market somehow to, to help. But I think there are there are changes that are taking place. And I think there's some, you know, larger, larger venture investors that are trying to, you know, close that gap as well through programs that they're trying to facilitate. And, you know, I think that's just a matter of time rather than an error or, or anything on behalf of, of anybody. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, lastly, Marcus, if a brand new founder or entrepreneur came to you, given all your wins, your uh, mistakes, and your experience, what would you tell them to increase their chances of success? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's what I mentioned earlier. I mean, I've I've been a founder. I've started startups myself, um, and been an investor as well. And I've you know had failures on both, and more failures as a founder. And I think I've um, just been able to to live through those experiences and and realize that that they're all learnings is important. But then also think focus, and I think you know trying to really not not down what what you want to achieve is 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 extremely important and be determined and motivated on that goal rather than trying to juggle many things you know i sometimes i say that you know i'm a jack of all master of none but i think when you tend to you know focus on trying to master something and be really good at it then you know you, you have obviously much greater chances of success so i i say those two things one is 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 learn from your experiences and whether they're positive or negative that's fine and really focus when you when you think you've got something you, you want to do to be determined and motivated and, and really nut it out yeah i love that marcus it's been so good to have you on the show today thank you so much for your time thanks a lot will where could the audience go if they wanted to learn more and connect with you they can go on twitter and cal betzer is my handle there linkedin and bridgeland um, has a website bridgeland.com.au plenty of information on there and what's next for you and your journey so right now we're doing a new fund. So it's, I guess, our Bridgeline Ventures Fund 3, which is a combination of Bridgeline and Tankstream Ventures, which was our subsidiary. So um, we're bringing that um, all under one name to make it a bit easier to, to understand. And, and that's, that's where we're going to be headed for the rest of the year. I hope you enjoyed that interview. More interviews are on the way. Follow the podcast wherever you're listening right now. Stay tuned for more interviews with many, many more amazing people from the Australian startup ecosystem. Thanks for listening and see you next time.